Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. So glad you decided to join me this evening or this morning or lunch, whatever, whatever you're doing, <laughs> whenever you listen. That's the beauty of this being recorded, right? So um, before we dive into it, we want to do a quick update. Uh, we've had uh, actually we're a week behind. I wanted to release a podcast last week, but last week was Farrowing Week. And uh, actually, last week was the week from hell, um, if I can be so blunt. Now we had uh, we had a good farrowing, we had a bad farrowing. We've had um, uh, reintegration of boars, which turned into a big fight, and not with me, with the boars. But um, I'm going to get into that in a, in a later episode. We'll discuss the details because we're uh, uh, we're still getting everything sorted out um, as to what happened there. I bet it really comes back. The theme to all of this is infrastructure, infrastructure, and infrastructure. And if you try to farrow pigs on non-flat land, just be prepared to pull your hair out. So that's the situation here in West Virginia where I live. There's very little flat land. So when a pig decides he's she's not going to stay in the farrowing barn and she's going to do a Kool-Aid man on the side of the building and go out and farrow in the woodlot, then just expect everyone to roll downhill. And that's what happened. But like I said, we'll get into those details later. Not, um, not really ready to get into that just yet, uh, except I'm still doing some assessments there. Along the same lines of announcements, we have um, uh, just another quick drop. I know you guys probably get sick of hearing me say it, but, you know, it's a podcast, so it is what it is. We're going to talk about Patreon real quick. I really appreciate the uh, patron, patrons, the Patreon, oh my goodness, the patrons that have come on Patreon to support. We're actually halfway to our first benchmark goal of 20 supporters. We, we hit the 10 mark already, so excited about that. And just want to go down the list real quick and give a shout out to everyone that's supporting and really appreciate them parting with some hard-earned money there to see that the Pastured Pig podcast can keep rolling. And of course, they get to enjoy the additional episodes uh, on Patreon as well. But I want to give a shout out to Keenan May, to Chet Peters, to J.B. Brown, Obar Farms, Adam Garner, Dan Pro, Bill Speed, Noah West, Dana Probert, and Jed Bicker. Appreciate all of you all supporting uh, the podcast. And um, really, it's, it's, it's allowed me to go ahead and start making some additional investments and in things. So I really appreciate that support already. Uh, again, we're trying to shoot for that 20 support benchmark first. And then we'll turn a lot of things, be able to turn some things on there, be able to make those additional investments. But we're already producing additional content. Uh, last month's uh, bonus episode was... Uh, detailing a price uh, setting and cost analysis for your farm products, specifically uh, pastured pork products. This month, hopefully in the next week, we will have live um, what I call episode two of our marketing series. And that will be a focus on how to identify your ideal customer. And that's not necessarily one person, of course. That's the avatar, if we want to use uh, the most relevant marketing speech. But the, uh, just identify the demographics, geographic elements, those type of things of your most ideal customer. And then, of course, the goal is to go out and find more just like that. So uh, that's what we'll be talking about this month. And usually um, uh, last month we had some downloadable content to go with it, some uh, spreadsheets and things. Uh, so we'll see. I'm not quite sure what we're going to have to go along with that. this one. It's a little more nebulous, but some good discussion that uh, hopefully we should initiate there. Well, I'm going to go ahead and dive into our interview today, and I will catch you guys on the backside with some follow-up stuff. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. It's uh, a pleasure to be back and enjoy doing these interviews um, as much as possible. It's great to have new people on each, each time. Today is no different. We've got a great interview set up with Gus Franchi from New Hampshire. And Gus runs Gus's Farm, which is his namesake, of course, if you didn't make that connection. Uh, so welcome, Gus. How are things this evening? Hey, they're doing great. Uh, we're happy to have some warmer weather and uh, 
some little, little signs of spring. All right. All right. So New Hampshire, obviously a little cool, a little brisk right now. The uh, the thing that always jumps out of me about New Hampshire that I absolutely loved was Mount Washington. Are you anywhere near Mount Washington? Uh, we're quite a bit. We're like two and a half hours south. Uh, Mount Manhattan not fairly popular, and we're only like 20 minutes from that, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I hope to spend more time in New Hampshire and Vermont area. I really enjoyed uh, seeing that a couple years ago and loved to rum dumb around, as we say down here, and explore some more yeah. direction. Well, all right. So um, tell me a little bit about Gus's farm. What's the uh, overall layout of your setup? Well, um, I guess we'll start with the name. Uh, at the risk of being vain, I thought it best to utilize my unique and easy-to-spell name, uh, for the farm, especially since most guys around here, you know, you can come up with the most clever name and it's just Matt's or John's or, or Pat's, you know. So right. um, we, I got out of the Marine Corps in 2018 and got a few laying hens while my wife and I were looking for some, uh, some land. We ended up down the road. Um, that turned into five pigs in 2019. And... Uh, in 2020, we got access to 55 acres of woods, and uh, well, actually, about a year ago now. So, yeah, February or March was like when I, you know, started trudging through the snow to get some stuff done. And uh, we did two plus so 21 pigs last year, and uh, yeah, we were hoping to do to finish about 30 to 40 this year. So, um, yeah, I guess just to continue on what the farm layout is it the 50 it's the 50 acres is right behind my house which is not sits on three acres and it is not a farm <laughs> it is an old like it's all old woods that a couple owners ago harvested all he could all the money he could out of it and there's just which was that was logged probably three years ago um and then the person we're leasing from we bought it or we're leasing it from now and uh, it's just there's a lot of slash and leftover junk from the loggers, and uh, we're just trying to do what we can with it because it's it's there and it's it's available to us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounds like uh, sounds like it was a pretty extensive timber project, and uh, yeah, man, right after that happens, there's there's not much you can do with that unless <laughs> let some pigs in there and and some other things. And that's about it. Uh, rabbits and quail, maybe <laughs> maybe that's about all you got, right? Yeah, it's it's a lot, and um, I'm realizing quickly. I think uh, what you, you know, I know you have a a bandsaw mill, and Joel Salton talks about having one, and Jordan Green talks about having one, and I think my uh, situation uh, more than others even suggests that it might be a good investment. Um, so that's something we're looking at. Yeah, and uh, I've sold I've sold a little bit of firewood to my neighbors here and there, which you know. It's a problem not many New Englanders have, but it's just starting to pile up on me as I'm trying to clear fence lanes and stuff. But, right. you know, we're, p- pigs are um, animals meant for the woods, so it's great in that aspect. And it is somewhat of a blank canvas, so that's, that's kind of exciting. Um, I can kind of do with it what I want, but trees are heavy and diesel's expensive, so those are the less exciting parts about it. Right, right. Um, so it's interesting. I'm glad, man, I'm glad that you brought that up. And, and that wasn't necessarily a topic um, that I figured we'd talk about tonight, but it is a topic that I've had on my list. And that is um, is a pig operation, a wood a woodlot operation after a timbering. So let me, let's back up here a little bit. So you, you live on three acres, but this 50 acres that you're leasing uh, is uh, adjacent to your three acres, so you can literally walk out the house and, and hit that 50 acres, correct? Absolutely. Yep. It's right there. Okay. So looking at that, how how long ago did you say it was timbered? Um, two to three years ago. Okay. Three years now, I believe. Yeah. So there, like you said, there should be a lot of treetop. There's still a lot of a lot of the residuals from that project left over there laying around, I assume. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, it's a mess. And, you know, and it's also at the point where, you know, we've discussed with the landowner and kind of my wife and I, we've talked and thought, you know, we're at a point where there's not really a lot of value to have someone come in and, 
you know, pay for someone's like equipment costs if we were to have a logger or someone come in. But we're still going to feel out some options, but yeah, it's at that awkward phase where like a lot of the hardwoods that you could use for um, firewood aren't quite, you know, worth worth a logger's time, and obviously all the big stuff is gone. So yeah, it's, there's a lot there's a lot left, but not a lot. I mean, you can make do with stuff, but it's there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so I, I don't know how they do it in New Hampshire. I assume it's very similar to the, how they do it down here in the southern Appalachian Mountains. But usually you have a log staging area. So um, there's a network of, of roads or trails that their skidders use to be able to bring the logs to a centralized point. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, timber guys will actually scale the logs there, cut them to the length they want. Sometimes they'll go ahead and haul them. Um, in, in my circumstance, you usually have what's, what we call a butt pile. So it's a large pile of, of the cutoffs of the log. But there's this there's usually this open area, the staging area, that um, could be a small clearing that's, that's been created. And it becomes the hub of those roads or trails coming to that centralized location, which then is usually close to the main road so the logging trucks can get out and don't have to get buried up in the mud. Do you have something like that? We do, and that has been one of those, like, silver lining in yeah. the property, for sure. Um, we have, yeah, we, we just refer it to as the landing, and it's, you know, um, the minimal amount of gravel that the equipment needed. And uh, I think down the road, assuming we stick with this lease, which we, we really feel like we will, um, that's on, like, as you, as you guessed, more of a main road. I think that might become like the farm store, farm hub, you know, tra like that'd be an easier place for trailers to turn around, that type of thing. Unfortunately, it's on the other side of my farm, so I'm kind of working my way there. But um, that landing has been great because, you know, when I get round bales or whatever, it's an easy spot to just dump the load. Um, and the other, the other great thing is I don't really have a good spot to turn around a trailer, so assuming the mud is uh, minimal, I can just drive right through the farm on what you mentioned, like the, the skitter path, um, which I've slowly been improving, but that kind of gave me a starting point. So um, having just at least the, the bare bones of a, of a farm road has, has made it all possible, even though we've had to do quite a bit of improvements, but uh, it, it's gotten somewhere where it's useful, very, very useful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's yeah, that's the one thing that you said silver lining, and I agree 100%. So in my situation, our, our, our staging area was actually on a bench. So it's a higher elevation uh, terrace, um, kind of natural terrace on our south ridge. And they it was so that was the best place for them to do it. So they actually would roll the logs over the edge of this rock face. It was kind of funny. So we didn't have a, a clean a staging area as you would in a, in a flatter area. But even in that situation, those roads and that access point created a, a, a centralized hub where we could utilize it. Now, the lay of the land there in New Hampshire, is, is it pretty mountainous on, on this 50 acres? Does it have a decent roll to it? Is there any flat? It's, I would, you know, it's typical for around here. Um, I know people from all over are listening. It's, you know, there's a little, there's some swamps here and there. Um, it's definitely not a mountain. It's just you know, kind of rolling and woodsy. Yeah. You know, it's, there's a couple, there's like two steep faces. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I'd say it's just very uh, average. It's, it's nothing significant. But um, going off what you said, so I guess an easy way to explain kind of how, how our layout is for, you know, road infrastructure is we have the Skidder Road, which essentially goes from literally like the end of my driveway, like my backyard, all the way to the landing on that main road. And then not exactly through the middle of it, but it ends up making four quasi-quadrants. Um, there's an, on a, they call it a class six road here, which is just, it's a dirt road, it's a town road, but they don't do anything to it. And people four wheel and snowmobile on it. And that goes right through the middle of my farm. So, you know, I, I'll be out, it's funny because I'll be working on fence and you'll see someone whipping by on their dirt bike and then they'll be like, huh? And they, they just see a pig at the last second as they whiz by. Because, you know, I just popped up within a year. Right. Um, and it's cool because, you know, I've actually gotten a few customers from like a neighbor who walks his dog there. And um, it also is like a pretty dang good trail that I've used quite a few times. It has some obstacles, but 
Um, it's fairly well established. Uh, so that road, it's kind of like, oh, free road. And then the skitter road, like, all right, we need some work, but pretty much free road. And uh, it also, I, I tend to kind of take on a lot more than maybe I should. So having those, as I said, like quadrants, it's uh, kind of allowed me to be like, all right, let's focus here, and then we'll do here. And then it's, um, yeah, it's a little more fence because I end up having to make like at least two perimeter fences, but uh, the roads are worth it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's that's the only that's the only thing that's allowed my hundred acres to be accessible. Uh, it's it's like you said, people are listening from all over, so it's tough to explain. Uh, the lay of the land uh, in an audio format, but without those roads, or you know, it's tough to call them roads too. But without those those paths or those trails uh, that I could get my tractor and my side by side back on, then it, it really would limit the access to the majority of the property. And I like what you're saying here. So looking at this as a blank canvas, knowing that you've already got this infrastructure in, so you can access uh, pretty much all points of the property. And it sounds like there's a county, even a county easement through there that, that can help you access. Um, it, it really gives you the, the ability to say, okay, I can try this here. I can go over here and try that um, and, and really be able to have some, some different testing areas. So it sounds like that's a, that's a pretty good setup for you. Yeah, I, as I said, you know, I'm grateful. You know, I think, you know, everyone would want like that, you know, big, wide open, grassy expanse. Um, but there's a lot of fun with the woods. Um, like right now, a, a fellow farmer and I are starting to harvest some. So we have a, a lot of younger oaks. So, I'm, you know, that blank canvas, right? I'm like, you know what? I need some more sunlight here to get some foragers going. Um, that one's not doing so great. Let's get that down. And we're starting to stockpile some wood we'll use for, uh, for shiitake and uh, oyster bolts. Um, and then, yeah, like, you know, walking through the woods over and over again, we'll oh wow look at that oak tree we got to save that one we got to get the pigs to there um and uh yeah it's a it's a blank canvas but um the woods has a lot of benefit and then shade right we both we all know pigs uh they 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 need their shade and they like the stuff they can find at the forest floor so it's a pretty good uh a pretty good spot for pigs yeah yeah i i I consider myself a, a a fan or a student of silva pasture and Everything I've studied, it, you know, I, see, I see these people that are trying to institute silvopasture from a from a grassland setting or a large, wide open pasture, and they're coming back and having to plant. And those of us that are on the opposite side of that, where we have you know hardwood forest and we have to come in and thin, to me, I think you know obviously I'm biased, but I think we're at a much better advantage because a what we don't touch is already mature and producing that mass, producing that shade, all of the things that come along with that. And then, of course, what we do take out, there may be more labor for what we do, but my goodness, the products that we're getting, you know, the firewood, the uh, the, the shiitake uh, components, like you said, uh, you know, for me, it's uh, lumber that goes to the sawmill and, and becomes uh, part of my infrastructure on the property. So it really allows you to to kind of set that up and and and, and kind of be ahead of the game. So you're, you're, right now, your, your woods are producing mast, uh, so this fall you'll be able to reap those benefits even again. Oh, absolutely. And then um, the, the other thing, too, is it, it expert, you know, right, diversity is good. And I mean, just almost pretty much anything, and especially with, uh, you know, forages and, and, and timbers, right? So that's where, like, it's really fun to, you know, I have a friend who's an arborist or just, you know, just by myself, I'll walk out there and I'll be like, all right, I want a little bit of oak, a little bit of beech. Like, we want to have a little bit of everything, but we also want to have some young ones and some old ones. And I doubt there's many, if any, people who are, as you said, establishing silvopasture in fields that are, you know, transplanting 200-year oak trees, right? And I get to just be like, yeah, look, there, there's one right there. Right. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, great advantage. Now, now up in that area of the country, do you have on that fifty acres? Are, are there a lot of apples, apple trees around? So yeah, app, um, you know, Johnny Appleseed's from uh, what well, I think we one town away, two towns away. Okay, least, yeah. you know, one of one of the places, Johnny Lemonster, Massachusetts, not far from us. So there's, um, you know, that's like what kids do in uh, in school around here. They sing, you know, they do their they're Johnny Appleseed songs, but, uh, so there's a lot of orchards around here. Um, unfortunately there's some 
Troy, you'd, you're like me, you'd probably just cry driving by them because, you know, there are just decades and decades of labor that went into establishing them, and the wrong person inherited it, and they just have gone to waste. And mm, yeah. Now, they're, they're good hunting ground, I'm sure, but boy, oh boy, is it a shame. Um, native apple trees, I don't really, I, at least on my property, I, I haven't seen any, um, and I can't, I guess there's an orchard um, probably like five miles away, but yeah, apple trees do very well. Um, one thing I happen to be really lucky, um, to have is, and I call it now, you know, the locust paddock, but I actually have some locust trees, which I honestly, I don't ever remember having seen them. I grew up in New England, but coming on this property, you know, now I pay attention more as I drive around, I'll see some, but I got a good stand of locusts that, uh, I mean, you guessed it. I've been put using, I got some crooked fence posts out there, but they're going to last a while and they're free. So that's been really cool. Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely not going to get any sexy points, but man, they do last. And it's, it's great to be able to harvest that off your own property for sure. They'll do your saw quick though. I learned that. And uh, the other thing is, I believe, I don't know if all locusts are, but I, I'm pretty sure all locusts are, are legumes, right? They're nitrogen fixers. So that, I mean, that was, that's really cool. And, um, but boy, oh boy, watch out for those thorns. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're correct. I, I believe all, all locusts are. Yeah, they and, and that's the thing. That's Again, I'm, I'm always amazed. I, I think that uh, yeah, God was kind of chuckling when he made everything because he's like, okay, locust trees, they're going to have these thorns and everything, but, um, man, they're going to be so easy to split because you know, when I split my black locust, they're, it's like it's almost like glass. You can you just get a wedge in it. Uh, I guess the, the term's not – the proper term is riving when you rive one. It um, – it's it splits so well and just on such a clean line. So you got a you know, six foot or eight foot post here that I'm I'm riving, and, and then when it pops, it just sounds like somebody broke glass. <laughs> you can oh. rive, rive it into quarters and everything, and it uh, works out well. So yeah, that's that's a great asset to have on the on the property for sure. Oh, absolutely. All right, well let's uh, let's man, we we definitely got down a rabbit hole there. So let's come back around a little bit and let's talk about. Um, uh, your pigs in general. So what what variety of pigs have you gone with and, and what are some of the details of that setup so far? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I kind of just, I try to get some heritage um, pigs and this is my first year farrowing, which we'll get to, but, um, you know, a lot of Craigslist meetups and driving around to get, um, you know, three or four or five here and there. Um, I ended up with a, pretty much everything has some Gloucester Old Spot in it. Um, I, you know, I'm way too new to have an opinion, like, or at least any conviction, I should say, mm-hmm. on, like, what breeds, and, you know, I think Berkshires are hot right now, right? They're, like, the Angus of pork, you know, I, almost every person on the podcast and every forum, they're all talking about that, and I, I do, they, they seem like good pigs, but I'm just having fun, like, getting multicolored, and I, I think the way you raise them, you know, I don't know, I'm sure it's, it's an old saying, but there's more difference between each pig than each, each breed. And I think, you know, until you get to either like the Coon Coon or the Mangalista, like things on the far left or right, um, I feel like that's fairly true. Um, but, I, you know, right, part of this whole pastured pork thing, this regenerative agriculture deal is you really got to like, I think, I have found, that you have to separate yourself from the grocery store and be like, we are different. And not so much the grocery store, but the conventional confinement production, right? All these things we know. So I do think it's easier to show pictures and show videos and make posts and tell people about pigs that, you know, not only are they raised outside when some are raised inside, and not only are they given local grain and processed locally, but I mean, they're complete. They look different, right? They're different colors and um, so I, I, and I, I mean, they, they're just more enjoyable to be around, you know? Um, so I'm not one of those old timers that's like, I don't believe in a white pig, but I do think there's a marketing value to having, you know, dare I say cute animals. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm too new to really have those convictions like, oh, they're tougher or whatever. But like, um, but yeah, right now I actually have some red wattle. The guy didn't know how he ended up with them, but <laughs> And then I'll have some red wattle and then some Gloucester old spots and uh, all they're just paired as much, really. Yeah, no, and I, and I think that's great. Yeah, just starting out, play around with it. I, I think you can. I think people can really get wrapped around the axle quickly 
on saying this is exactly oh. how I'll do it and I'm going to do it this way because I've seen somebody else do it and so successful with it. And like you said, there's so many variation, not only in the in the ge- genetic line of a specific breed, but also in the environment. And, and as you said, there's so many things that go into producing a great pig that aren't just genetics. Genetics is huge, but it's not, uh, that's not the only thing. So, uh, so seeing, seeing what can handle your property, what, what bodes well there, what, what forages well, uh, that's, that's all going to be part of the mix. Well, that, and you know, I don't think it'd be a livestock, uh, conversation in, in 2020 or 2021 now, I suppose, without it, we're talking at least a little bit about the scarcity of, you know, slaughtered dates and processing. Right. And I, you know, I've brought how many processing sesame, four or five, whatever. But point is, you know, I really haven't even had a chance to, you know, I haven't fed them this amount of grain for this amount of weeks and, you know, weigh the animal each time to, to bring it in. And basically, I haven't had enough controls or experience to have controls to really know, like, oh, yeah, this is what got that carcass great. And I'm, I'll be honest when I say, like, I can tell, like, wow, this pork is better than you know, grocery store pork, but I'm not at that level where, you know, you know, the fat content here, there, and I know there's, there's truth to that and validity to that, but I'm just not at the point where, um, I've been in it. really, it's mattered, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, like I say, you're, you're just, you're just starting out getting that, getting that figured out, getting your customer base established and, and all of that's going to be good feedback as you, as you move forward. So let's let's talk about um, let's talk a little bit about infrastructure. So you uh, you had in the notes that you sent me that uh, you're working on uh, some some backbone fence, perimeter fence with high tensile, using some temporary placed uh, double strand. What else? What other infrastructure do you have when it comes to fencing? When it comes to shelter? When it comes to water source? Yeah, yeah. So again, like this definitely wasn't a farm a year ago, and now it's it's starting to shape up like one. I have, um, oh geez, I'm not going to put a number to it, but I have a good bit of that, that 50 acres, you know, maybe a third of it, maybe a little less, um, with at least the beginnings of some five strand high pencil electric that portions I even added on a couple more. So we're looking at seven strands. Um, and I'll use a lot of timeless fence posts and then, um, locust really I, I made sure the corners were strong and then after that it was what made sense pressure treated that um as battens bolted to trees um whatever made sense um and then i have as you said two strand i just use i've used poly wire but i use a lot of just soft wire um the regular aluminum wire with welding spool reels and uh i have a mix of you know fiberglass or o'brien step-ins with uh rebar and rod insulators um, and I, I, I try in the summer, I move the pigs once a week, every two, two weeks at the longest. Um, but other infrastructure, so water is definitely a pain. And, uh, I was able to borrow a mini excavator a couple times, um, but never a mini excavator and some gravel and some culvert. So I have some, a couple, um, beginnings of some dug wells and, uh, I'm fortunate where I have some good water on the property. It's like it's it's wet, you know, it doesn't get dry and there's some spots that will make some good dug wells. So my plan is to, to, um, I have a 12 volt pump system that, I mean, I mean, the whole setup's like $150. So my plan is to have a few dug wells, just culvert pipe, dig a hole, culvert pipe, backfill it with stone and be able to feed each of the paddocks out of one or two of those. Um, just cause it's there seems to me like it's, I'd rather have multiple points of failure than like a hose. Uh, or uh, excuse me, like a water line. Maybe eventually I'll do the water line thing, but the dug wells make sense. Um, so for right now, because I'm, you know, bucketing out of those those little wells that aren't quite done yet, or um, I have IBC totes and I can put that on my tractor, um, or a little trailer for my tractor, and I'll kind of set the IBC tote down or put it on a stack of pallets, and I'll just take a five-gallon bucket and keep the, uh, I have those 80-gallon drinkers, so I'll keep those topped off. Um, what else infrastructure? I have, I was able to score from a scrapyard um, some big, I don't even know how many gallon, probably, I think they're like 1,000-gallon oil tanks that I was able to hack in half, and uh, 
those have been pretty good rugged shelters because I can just take my tractor forks to them and move them around and drop them and bang them and not care about them because they're just metal. Definitely some, uh, you know, they, they stay moist inside, you know, it's, it's, they condensate, but yeah. they're rugged and you give them enough bedding, I think, I think they work pretty well for shelters. Um, I was able to, I know I'm kind of, stop me anytime, I'm just kind of rattling off. Oh, no, you're good, yeah. keep going. Um, I finished, I finished two eight by 14, um, shelter, like huts, pig huts for farrowing that I plan to use for a brooder as well. And those are on skids and, uh, they're very simple. I wish I built them a little taller and that's where I have my, my sows right now. Um, and yeah, just, they look like an Adirondack, like camping shelter on the AT, but a little bit closed in and they're on skids. So I plan to pull them around with the tractor and uh yeah i mean that's and then i have some of those o'brien not o'brien um, osborne um one ton feeders um that a couple of them are used one was new and yeah just everything's portable and that balance between what's cheap and free and what will last and is worth your time that's that's what i have for infrastructure but the most effort goes into those corner posts on for high tensile and then beyond that i try to keep keep myself nimble you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my goodness, can't stress that enough, especially uh, you know, starting out, figuring out what you've got to do. Of course, on lease land, you don't want to put a ton of uh, permanent infrastructure in for the property owner and just because of things can, can change. But the nimbleness of, of being able to move and change and say, well, let's, let's try it this way or let's try it that way and, and different layouts, different paddock sizes, that's definitely handy to have. And it sounds like you've got, man, it sounds like you've got great You've got great key assets on the property with the water, with the road, with the lay of the land. Again, the the timber that's still there. Uh, so it really is a good a good starting point. Yeah, I mean, I think you I think you worked uh, you lucked out or worked out well. You eyeballed it. Whatever you did to to acquire that, you did uh, you did well in doing your homework. Yeah, we yeah. I like I it's it's gonna take you know another year or two for it to really tie together. I think once we get the perimeter fence done and a couple. Well, you know, this is something I would normally ask at the beginning of conversation, but we really took off well in our conversation, and, and I do want to ask this. So, um, why does a marine get out of the core and decide to raise pigs? Was that was that like plan the plan coming out of the core? Yeah, you know. Um, so, yeah, when I, I was uh, ending, well, toward the end of my my enlistment in the Marine Corps, um, and you know, I was fixing to get married, and it was. My wife was real, you know, she was like, you know, you, you do what you want to do, but just make sure it's the right decision. And, you know, I wanted to stay, in, I, I really like the Marine Corps, and, you know, they call it the stuck for a reason, so it's not all fun and games. But, um, yeah, I always wanted to farm. I got some hippie parents, um, I think, and I had some farmer friends growing up. And, um, yeah, it was really the only other thing I wanted to do, aside from being a Marine and, yeah, I think, uh, well, really, you know, I, I had a friend, he got hurt in training, um, and, you know, having conversations with him, and he said, man, all I know is if I could, uh, if I could, I would do what I wanted. I was like, you know what, I think I should go for it. So I kind of, I, I was like, I did the Marine Corps thing, let's get out and farm, and to my wife's dismay, I'm out there late at night trying to farm every night, <laughs> so either way, I'm gone a lot, but, Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of, you know, but I think, you know, in the podcast you had with Jordan, he said a lot of the things I would say about, you know, there's purpose, um, there's that, that, that level of challenge, like it, it, responsibility. It's, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on, but it's just, I really, there's only two, the only other thing I wanted to do. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great, man. Awesome. And that's good too. I mean, that, have a plan, execute it, and you know, always have a backup plan. There's, it's always good to uh, to see something through that way. Yep. Well, okay. Well, let's talk about. You'd mentioned something earlier about farrowing. So it sounds like um, have you acquired a bore? Are you doing AI, or or where are you now uh, with that process? Oh, uh, my neighbor has a few pigs, and he let me borrow his bore. Um, he's a Gloucester Old Spot. Um, not definitely not serious. 
20, 30. So, yeah, 39 piglets. Goodness. Um, All right. Five as of a couple hours ago. So, yep, that crazy kid who, you know, second year farming and first year fairing decided to do it in one of the colder Februarys. So. <laughs> well, that, that proves uh, that's the immediate proof of the resiliency of your uh, of your animals. So, well, that was from, was that from five sows, you said, 39? Yeah, that was from five sows. That's pretty good. And they were all sows, none of them were gilts? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, no, they're all sows now. They were all gilts. Oh, no kidding. All right, wow. Another leap of faith, yeah. yeah. We had a couple troubles. Um, I If you want me to run through real quick, we had yeah. uh, three yeah, out of nine, six out of eight, ten out of ten, twelve out of thirteen, and then eight out of ten. A couple of those eight out of tens are looking a little skinny, but we'll see. Okay, do that again uh, a little slower because yeah, I'm not a marine, but I, I'm I'm in West I'm in West Virginia, so you're gonna have to talk slower for me. So in order of how they ended up faring, um, we had one, three out of the nine piglets are alive. Okay. And then one is six out of eight of the pigs are alive. And then ten out of ten. Okay. And then twelve out of thirteen, and then eight out of ten. Interesting. All right. Yeah, that's that's across the board there. I mean, that's definitely uh, that's definitely documentable, right? So you, you write that down and say, okay, here's the 10 out of 10. Here's the 12 out of 13. Uh, that's definitely green light. The uh, the yellow lights, maybe the 8 out of 10s. That, that 3 out of 9 is a big question mark. Do you, do you know what happened there or what, what the situation was? Yeah, I think I was as excited as she was, and I, I, think, I, was, I think I was getting in her way a little bit. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's their first time. It's my first time, and and I've I'm trying to you know I know I'm new. Eventually, I want to get toward uh, you know real low input and kind of leave them be. But I'm also trying to grow the business, so I didn't want to lose too many piglets. So I, I think I may I I probably should have had her. I there's a, there's three stalls in each of those uh, barrowing huts. I think I should have had her in one and kind of locked in one uh, previous but i was kind of letting them go outside and getting her inside as she started faring i think kind of stressed her out and then yeah she just stomped like one one got one fell out of the hut and i think uh died of the cold and the other one she just would get worked up and step on him again i think i might have been in her face a little bit but it's also her first time so but i think that's also why nature gave her nine of them so right yeah right yeah exactly yeah i mean that for gilts those are those are good litter sizes, and that's that's a thumbs up to the boar. I'd tell the neighbor he gets he gets a blue star. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll, yeah, I, I'm happy so far. Like we're like I said, uh, some of those those ones that were born um, earlier today looking a little skinny, but you know it's amazing how fast they grow. Let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. So do you know how big of a castration day you've got lined up yet? No. I, no, I'm not sure yet. I'm still, I think weather's really going to um, determine that because I'll probably want to have it. I, I might, I, I'm honestly, I'm still deciding. I'm looking at what other people do and yeah. think weather and if I can get them set up with a different spot because um, I might try to, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's the neat part. There's, there's things that come along and it's, it's decision time. Do I do it this way? Do I do it that way? Do I not do it or do it later? And uh, and that's it's some of those things you you know, you, you learn. <laughs> you know, in, in my circumstance, it was always uh, you learn and you go through a bad trial or something that kicks your butt. And it's like okay, I think next time I'm going to do it this way <laughs> instead of that way. Oh, absolutely. I I I just have to do things horribly wrong the first time to get out of the way, <laughs> and then I can learn. You know, <laughs> right. Uh, so if uh, so, let's uh, let's be optimistic and say the thirty nine that you have uh, continue to grow and and make it through these first couple weeks. And so, are you going to are you going to finish all thirty nine? You think are you going to sell off some some growers to other people? What what's your plan there? Well, um, I because I called like geez, probably a year over a year ago now, I guess, or about a year ago. Um, I have the slaughter date. Um, where I could finish um, all 39. I think it will depend. I have walk-in walk freezer panels to the mm -hmm. left of my garage 
along with some other junk. Um, and if I can get that walk-in freezer up and going, I think I'm going to try to finish closer to all of them. Wow. Um, yeah. But Excellent. if, you know, yeah, and that is a little ambitious, and I have this water date spread out. So maybe I'll back off a few and, you know, I obviously, I'll do the, the slaughterhouse and the other farmers a courtesy and call as soon as I decide. But, you know, we, we have a couple of feeders on the farm right now that, um, they're getting uh, April 19th, I believe. Um, and we already have a few of them sold. So if we can, you know, kind of pick, now that we have some more inventory, if we can pick up in marketing, I mean, if we can sell them, then, you know, we're going to do it. But, um, yeah, I know. There's that window, right? Because they get hard to get rid of if uh, they start growing. So, um, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but, but again, that's that's just part of the experience and seeing. And and man, if you can, if you can pencil it out where you can finish 39, and you can either get them into, um, I assume you're going USDA, so you've got a, the ability to put them into cuts and or holes and halves, and you've got that customer base, then then yeah, that that could. That could turn a nice profit for your your first full season. Yeah, we. I mean, I'll be honest. We don't have the customer base now. <laughs> we have. I, I think we could we, we could easily do twenty. Um, not easily. It, it's work. But my wife's pretty on point with marketing. Um, we just kind of are starting to tip our toes into shipping. Um, but if we if I start putting some of that effort that goes in the fence into marketing um i mean it seems like i mean there's a demand right so if we can just kind of figure out where that demand's coming from uh i i think i think we're going to try to do 40 so or yeah. 39 or so we'll yeah. see yep that's good yeah uh, that's yeah. That's, that's just like a Marine. Be ambitious, man. Kick a door in and keep running. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, I like it. Yeah, and again, you don't know until you try. And, and you get in a certain situation, you, you could still you still be able to sell those things off. Again, you may lose a little bit of your, your margin with uh, the feed input and what you'd actually sell uh, you know, a, a grower kind of halfway through its cycle. But yeah, you just don't know, especially if they're, I mean, right now you see people looking for breeding stock. So if you had some gilts, uh, I don't know if you're going to keep any boars intact, but if you had that situation, then then there could be some movement there as well. So, uh, you know, you, you, you know enough of it to know that there's, you've definitely got some options, it sounds like. So. Definitely, yeah. I'm, I'm keeping the eye on, you know, the forums and, and Craigslist and stuff, but, yeah. All right. So, Gus, what do you think um, – What's the, what's the five year plan on Gus's farm? Uh, it sounds like uh, you know, this fence we've talked about. You're going to include fence, and you're going to do some marketing. You said something about uh, maybe a farm store and some other things. What are your thoughts there in five years? Yeah, um, you know, I I really think uh, there's a lot. I think staying nimble, smart. Um, so I think that farm store I mentioned is maybe long term. Um, I've I, my dad is recently retired, and I think I've been able to convince him to build me something not too unlike the farrowing huts, right? Uh, I think we're looking at 8x8 eight eight on skids, basically a garden shed um, with an outlet um, that we're going to put at the end of our driveway because, you know, as any man would or anyone would really tell you, it, a garage can't be everything. So I found out pretty quick this winter with the snow we got. It can't be a place to fix my tractor, park my tractor, store my grain, and be the home of four freezers and a place I can expect customers to come in and pick up meat, which they do because they love the product and they're good people. But um, I think if – so the plans, especially with the walk-in, right, that will be at, obviously out of the garage. And if we can have just a tiny little, you know, portable for tax reasons and practical reasons, shed-type store at the bottom of our driveway – um, and I can run power fairly easily there. Then, you know, one little fridge and, or freezer, and it can be a drop-off point. Um, really, you know, people want to do curbside pickup type thing or, you know, hey, call us if you want us to come restock it if, if you don't catch it. I think that's that, the perimeter fence, and finishing up some of those wells um, and uh, applying some of the lessons learned in this winter um, is the one year, if we're, we're talking like, the other thing is I'm, I'm looking at some lease 
leasing some pasture. Um, it's New England. There's not really big farms or big wide open spaces. A lot of it's been developed. So there's a couple smaller farms I'm looking at leasing to expand into to beef, um, grass-fed, you know, rotationally grazed beef. Um, I think we might try some turkeys this year. But, yeah, in five years, I'd like to have, you know, a pretty – I'd like to have the 55 acres on lock and have the pork at a point where it's, you know, it, it's about as maximized as it can be um, in, you know, the 55 real thinned out and all fenced in. And then I'd like to have a, a grass-fed beef um, enterprise going strong and some poultry. And I think it, whether it's a wood processor or a bandsaw mill, I think, that would be a purchase within the next five years. I mean, honestly, I'd love to be full-time farming in five years, but um, my, my goal was by 30, so we'll, I'm 27. We'll see if we get there. But, um, yeah, I, so immediate goals, perimeter fence, small store and walk-in, and then long-term is just grow the business sustainably on both the wallet and the environment. Yeah, yeah, man, that sounds great. I, I... I love the thought that you've put into it, and and definitely setting goals are are key, and uh, and and just just looking to make the expansions in the right areas, and and uh, you know, make make the moves when it makes sense. It's good stuff. Right? Yeah, that's why I don't love to put like it's easy to catch yourself be like, oh, I want to be you know bringing a hundred cows, you know, or <laughs> finishing this many, and it's like, well, I want to do what makes sense. You know, I catch myself coming up with these grandiose ideas, and like, no, no, no I want to do what makes sense right um what allows me to do it full-time hopefully but also what's enjoyable and uh what is as like i said sustainable so yeah yeah absolutely well uh before i let you go i want to i want to wrap up with a question i ask everybody and of course uh you're no different so what is the best experience or favorite parts about raising pigs on pasture for you oh it's easy that's when i mean i guess it's like two and one um it's when i move when, I, when you know the pigs are a couple months old, they figure out their routine, and uh, when I open that gate and move them into like a fresh paddock, because like I said, I move them once a week, every two weeks at the most. Um, especially if it's one that I had they had been at before, and I seeded some sedan grass or clover or something, and and just when they run in there, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> and the best part, Troy, is though when. I have a customer or a friend or someone, and they're there when that happens. They're like, "Whoa, I've never seen pigs so happy." That is, that's better than, "Whoa, it's the best pork chop I ever tasted." Like when they're like, "Whoa, that animal, those those animals are ha- playing." I'm like, "Yeah, dude, that's what animals <laughs> do." It's that's the most fun I think. That's very cool. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. That is, uh, that is neat to watch them explore a, a new area or an area they have been in in a long time and. And just enjoy all that those new it's like sensory overload for them when they run through there. Oh yeah, it's, it's the best. Great, great. Well, Gus, uh, if if people want to find out any more about you, do you do you have an online presence yet? Have you guys made it to that, to that point? Yes, um, we are on Instagram um, at Gus Farm and uh, at Gus underscore Farm, and uh, we have a website uh, GusFarm dot com. And uh, we're on Facebook, which you could just look up my name. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I'll post that information in our uh, show notes, of course, so people can can find that out. Well, man, I appreciate you taking the time to come on. It was a pleasure talking to you. And I didn't get to say this at the beginning, so I'm going to say it now. Uh, thank you for your service to our country and the Marine Corps. And uh, glad you were able to come out unscathed. <laughs> the, the core is a tough experience i understand so uh i'm glad you uh served us well there appreciate it well thank you troy and uh thanks for all you do with the podcast and uh yeah i'm, I'm glad i could contribute in a small way all right man well i pray you have a great week and it was a pleasure talking to you well all right well i appreciate gus coming on the podcast and sharing his story with us um if you guys want to find out more about him of course you can Visit his social media links. I will have those posted down in the show notes as well. Well, we've got uh, we've got a pretty good lineup coming. I've I've been impressed the amount of people that have reached out here just recently at the time of recording these bumpers 
to uh, come on the podcast. So we should have a pretty good lineup that will take us um, well into summer, probably even to fall with the number of uh, interviews we have scheduled. But don't let that deter you. If you would like to come on the podcast or you would like to make some suggestions for future topics, I've had several of you send me some really good emails with a very long list of suggested topics, and some of which that uh, definitely go deeper into my knowledge or my information. I wouldn't, you know, obviously wouldn't expect uh, uh, to be the uh, sole expert on everything. I'm not, an, I don't think, consider myself an expert on anything, actually, but um anxious to explore some of these topics and I'm still trying to figure out the format of that. Again, if I could uh, get into some of these deeper topics uh, with somebody that's a specific expert in that source area, then that's what we'll do. But uh, I'm rambling. But we'll figure something out there and get into some of those specific topics as well as continue to do these interviews. Well, again, don't forget the Patreon if you're interested in getting the bonus uh, episodes and, of course, supporting our efforts here so we can grow and expand this community even more. Again, I can't thank you all enough, those of you that have supported. And uh, I pray everyone have a great week. And, man, at at this time, it's um, as I'm recording this, it's mid-May, and it is just absolutely gorgeous outside here in West Virginia. We've had a really great spring So um, I've been able to enjoy that quite a bit. I pray everyone has as well. All right. Take care, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.